for Your Darkness, a first responder mental health podcast hosted by me, Erin Jane, where we have conversations about what it's like to perform a first responder role and the mental health challenges that can accompany it. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Will Hold Space for Your Darkness. I'm your host, Erin Jane, and today we are joined by Dave, um, which I'm very excited about because Dave is our first correctional officer. So um, Dave has worked in law enforcement as a correctional officer for the last 17 years. Uh, he has experience in housing units, inmate transportation, within the court system, crisis negotiation, and uh, with his department, SISM and court programs. Uh, so thank you, Dave, for jumping on and joining us today. Thank you very much, Aaron, for having me. I appreciate it. Really? Yeah. No, really appreciate you, uh, you coming in and sharing your time with us today. Um, so yeah, let's just sort of get the ball rolling and, and what made you interested in, in joining, um, law enforcement and, and more specifically like the correct system? Yeah. I mean, normally when you look at it, like you want to law enforcement, there's all the different branches, whether it's police or even public safety in general, uh, no one says they want to wake up and be a corrections officer per se, and you know, <laughs> jump into, to this line of work. But I mean, looking at it, I was going to school for criminal justice at the time. Okay. And in the process of doing that, um, an opportunity presented itself to work part-time at one of the facilities uh, for the summer help, kind of like a summer program, like a summer mm -hmm. job. And I figured, well, it's kind of better than, you know, doing the uh, the slave wages of the day, just kind of jumping into it. And uh, I was like, try something else and get my feet wet uh, yep. in that process of doing it. I learned, obviously, a lot about the job, and I was taught a lot from experienced officers that, you know, it's a great job. It's a great, great benefits and a lot of advancement opportunities. You know, you can kind of jump into different things over time. And then um, towards the end of the summer, going back into school, I ended up, uh, I ended up staying and uh, worked right along for about a year and a half. And then the position came up to take it for full time. Uh, mm -hmm. I took the test and went through the process and uh, went to the academy and graduated the academy. And, you know, everyone says like, oh, it's a stepping stone. But I mean, here I am almost, almost 18 years later. And, and I say, I enjoy it. It's, it's a good yeah. job, you know. Wow, that's so cool. So what were your, like, obviously you're doing a, a criminal justice um, either degree or diploma or something like that. Um, yep. What was your sort of like original plan or did you have one or? You know, I did. I obviously, you know, it was always kind of like after high school, you you know, you go to college, you go to the military and I think, oh, I wanted to become a police officer. Or just in general, I took the uh, civil service exams that we have here in the States here. And I had tried to go through the process and the school wasn't good enough. It was just, just high, but just high enough that you were tied with like hundreds of people on the list, yep. you know, before you could even go through the interview process. And um, just in general, I figured, well, having a degree would help as well. And learning, mm -hmm. I had my EMT background going through school for that in the same okay. time. I figured anything to kind of help the resume, you know, build the better myself. Um, and then, like I said, the position came along, the opportunity to try this. And I was like, well, what are these? You know, what are we, what, what is this, you know, line of work? And then kind of jumping into it, realizing like, well, all right, like, it's pretty good. You know, it's fulfilling and there's something that can make, kind of make a difference every day yeah. coming in. So, and then I ended up just jumping involved in that. But then when I was here, I was like, well, I want it. I enjoy it. I already kind of have a foot in the door. And obviously I know a lot of the people here, you know, why now do we take the test? For civil service and jump on that where i can kind of be already have three or four years in and like yeah. i said now here i am now so yeah that makes sense um and so talk to me about what is the like academy experience like 
for becoming a correctional officer? So with, with us, it was, you know, we obviously go with the beer. We have the beer things of, you know, it's the counting aspect as well as the first responder part of it. Um, in addition to, you know, firearm safety and defensive tactics. Um, now it's, you know, when we did ours back in 2008, we had about uh, 26 weeks where we learned okay. everything from, you know, uh, computer training as well as, you know, learning a different language. We were taught, we did had defensive driving. Uh, we went to the fire academy for a couple of days, um, wow. as well as, you know, the defensive tactics, the firearms, the first responder, uh, criminal law. Yeah. Um, it was just, it was just a wide range. It was 26 weeks and here we are like you know, wondering if it's ever going to end. It was just another week <laughs> added on and another week. And yeah, before you know it, like we're six months into this academy. We're like, wow. But I mean, yeah. you came out with a lot of skills and resources and training that you knew that would better help you obviously doing your job day to day. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think I like, I remember when I went through the police academy, it was like 20 weeks and that felt long enough. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. You know. I mean, the, the PT alone from six in the morning to like seven thirty, you're like you just you drained already, and then you got to go sit in the classroom for a couple hours, and then oh. oh by the way we're going on another run at like two o'clock when you're ready to leave, and he's like what what are you talking about? It's like, <laughs> but you know it's yeah it's a lot for sure. Yeah, and are you um like is it um you know did you end up getting position with people from your academy class, or does everyone kind of get dispersed out all over the state? <laughs> So with us, there were, at the time, I want to say 52 that had graduated, or 54 that had graduated with us. Mm -hmm. uh, we all, at the time, we had two um, two institutions where we could kind of go, and obviously based upon the three different shifts, whether it was, you know, 8 to 4 at the time, 4 to 12, or 12 to 8 overnights. Yeah. Uh, we all kind of just, you know, divvied up between then. And then based on where you were seniority-wise with your, uh, they did like a ping pong number, you would end up being where your seniority number would be. So if an opportunity presented itself to go on a different shift, we have our annual you know shift cycle every year that we're able to bid shifts okay. and obviously and days off. So and it kind of helped from there. Okay. So. Okay. And so you were saying that um, did you? So did you go back to the place where you had been working, or did you go somewhere else? I did. I did end up going back. Um, my my number was in the higher range, uh, I think it was number seven when I had started with that. Um, so I was able to go back to my original facility that I had worked in on my shift. My days off, I mean, granted, you're in the academy, it was six to two, Monday through Friday. Yeah. I think I went back to Tuesday, Wednesday, four to midnight. So it was uh, definitely a little shell shock and back to a change. <laughs> but it was good. I had already, already expected it. I had already kind of worked previously. I knew the ins and outs of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I knew what to expect going in. A lot of the new guys coming in, like if the holidays aren't working, it was kind of all the change, but it was just, it was just a day to day. Yeah. And so do you primarily sort of just stay at that one facility or do people bounce around a fair bit? Is there like, you can go do overtime somewhere else if you wanted to, or you really just within that realm of your facility? <laughs> So with the facility that we had at the time, and granted, it's probably like this really hasn't changed is, is staffing is in very minimal, you know, between retirees and people moving on to greener pastures. Uh, staffing's always been a problem, as well as obviously the the inmate population increasing. Mm -hmm. um, there's always looking for different units that are opening and different staff opportunities. So with us, there was always either an overtime, but when we were assigned with our, in the morning assignment that we would get a roll call, we'd be able to see, you know, where we were needed and pretty much you were just a fill in you go in as needed. You try it out. If it works and you like it, they, they could keep you there. But I mean, granted the other day is like, they're trying to fill a void and a staffing and try to kind of be bounced around. It was not uncommon to be moved from three or four different units in a shift 
based yeah. on, you know, this one's going out on a medical trip or such and such and staffing, you'd be bounced around. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I can imagine, um, you know, like you, the, your one shift could encompass like so many different aspects, especially if you're getting bounced around between units and yeah. that kind of thing, like not knowing what to expect or, I mean, in an overall view, what to expect dealing with inmates. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like, you know, in a way, talk to us what, what being a correctional officer is really like, because I think, you know, most people's perceptions would be, you know, orange is the new black or I don't know, the green mile <laughs> or Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. I don't know. I think it, oh, gets, yeah, yeah. it gets glorified in, in many ways in that respect. But I think it's one of the the sections of law enforcement that everyone kind of knows it exists, but because you guys, you know, do operate within those four walls of that facility, like we don't really, we don't see what you do. We don't, we don't have a lot of knowledge about it. Like what's, what is like your, your day-to-day duties like? So, I mean, it's funny you bring up obviously the television shows and there's, you know, people watch cops or like the jail or like you said, orange is the new black. People tell us that all the time. Is it, is it kind of like that? And I was like, I mean, it's not. It's obviously, you know what, you can kind of, you can look at it and be like, wow, this is, these are a little different here. Like, it's definitely different than what you would, you know, would imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, you go into a facility and the first thing that they say is like, you know, here you are with, you know, hardened criminals or people that are, you know, on their way to, you know, done serious crimes. And now they're waiting to go to court to answer to those crimes. And, you know, here you are, like, how could you, you have like this opinion? Like, how could you work with these people, these awful people, this and that? And you have to take your, your personality and your opinions and set them aside right off the rip when you walk in, because, you know, these are people that have obviously done something wrong and very serious, but there are people that have just made a dumb mistake, you know, and they've done a stupid thing that they may have done and that they instantly regret, mm-hmm. but, you know, based on where it is or the timing of the circumstances, now they kind of have to answer to this stuff. Um, you know, walking into these places, you know, it's staffing alone, but, you know, the enemy population is very large and you're working with very dangerous individuals. Mm-hmm. Um you're definitely outnumbered. Yeah. You know, you're working in some units that are 126 to one, you know, one officer at a time, where if your office is out on relief or one's out on doing other, other assignment and, you know, they're, you're out in the open. Yeah. Like people think of it, it's like, it's a dormitorial style setting for some units okay. as well as, so you're kind of out in the open. You, you have access to like community um, restrooms. So there's multiple individuals that are using restrooms and obviously showering aspects you're out in their day-to-day life. You're watching their life on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if something were to happen, like you don't have, like I say, like the tools on the tool belt, you really, all you have is your radio and obviously your partner, as well as like your communication skills is what's going to be what you have. We don't carry guns. We don't have, you know, batons or right. tasers and things like that like inside. Like, so people like, you don't even have like those cell phones based on the contraband aspects. So, you're really just kind of left with like, oh, this is, you know, the situation that arises itself. You kind of, you try to deescalate the best you can by communication. If not, like you get on the same page with your partner and you try to have a plan going in that in the event if there were something go wrong, like here's what we're going to try to do. And Mm -hmm. you hope that the cavalry is close and that your radio is nearby and things like that. The only thing that's going to kind of help you at that point, you know? Wow. That's, um, that's pretty crazy to be outnumbered in that way and, and have no, options like you're saying literally except for your communication skills and and i can imagine like you mentioned um to me offline that you'd done some like crisis negotiation training and and all that kind of thing like i can imagine you know having to build rapport with the people that you see day in day out and like you're saying you know 
you can't really sit in a position of judgment because that's not going to facilitate you being able to do your job really well. No, no. I think going into it is, and everybody can negotiate. Everybody can talk. I mean, if you have a family and you have kids, like, let's be honest, you nego- everyone's negotiating every day. Yeah. You know, if you've, you're tired, you tell your child, like, you don't want to eat the cookie. You have to eat your dinner first and things like that. You come into something like this is like how you see people on a day-to-day basis. And I tell you guys is how you see me here at work is how you're going to see me when I'm in with my family or on the street. I try not to, like, I don't sway around it. Yeah. I stick to obviously with them at work. It's through policy, but I'm a, I'm a human too. You know, I've made mistakes and I've kind of, you know, come up to them and I've admitted to them. And yeah. these guys are trying to do their process now with them, you know, and looking at it and taking out, you know, granted there are guys that have done a lot more serious things and they're kind of just trying to figure it out. It's, you know, being on the level playing field, like they have a role, we have a yeah. role and, you know, they're supposed to be compliant and do what they're supposed to do and follow the policy and procedure. And I'm supposed to obviously do, do that. And as well as making sure that, I'm doing my rounds and doing my checks and doing my documentation and paperwork as well. Yes. Yeah. You know, the job's changing every day and there's something new and you kind of, you can't become complacent. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is just, it's ever changing. And like you could work the same unit, you know, five days in a row and you're coming in on an overtime and it just could be a completely different job. Yeah. You know, it's just different people coming in, coming out, being transferred and it's just overall different every day. Yeah. And something I did want to ask you about in that respect is, I can imagine that every time you go to work, especially when you're like out on the floor with, with the inmates, um, just existing in this state of like hypervigilance because that is what's going to keep you safe. Um, how, how is that for you to, to know that you have to go to work and exist in that, in that state, which, which is exhausting, like, um, and probably even more so than like perhaps like a normal police officer who kind of might go from job to job, but then they get to go back to the station and, and chill out and all that kind of thing. Like, you know, for you, like that's, you're in that environment for your entire shift. So your, you know, vigilance level would be incredibly high. And then in turn, how do you, how do you switch it off? It's, it's fine because like you work in these units, you, you get to know these guys mm-hmm. on a, on a basis and, you know, you see when they're having a bad day, whether they maybe come back from court and you can kind of see it in general, you, you know, the feeling of when walking into the, to the units. And I mean, you, it just, you know, like if that's going to be a, a good day or a bad day based on the units quiet or if the units, you know, very busy or there's something going on. And like I said, during the day, it's, it's just it's like, it's so busy. Yeah. It's between people coming in, going out, whether it's to programs or educational, you know, programs or, you know, going to the, the nurse's station or just in general um, that they have or going to court between the back and forth. Like it's always changing. Yeah. It's always ever changing and walking into it. Like you got to know, like, obviously, first of all, like, you know, keep the keys, keep the count and it's kind of where you need to be. And then obviously you're going into cells and stuff like that. And then if something were to happen, you know, in the event, if it was to be a disturbance or, or an altercation, the individuals are separated, they're brought to medical, then the reports start, then you're brought right back to the unit and then you're kind of right back involved in it. And then now the adrenaline is now just doing the adrenaline dump. And then you're sitting there like, oh, it's, you know, something else could happen. You know, it's just, you know. Yeah, it would be um full on, I can expect. Yeah. Um, And so you sort of have mentioned that a lot of the people that you um, – like look after are often kind of like the like the pre-trial type inmates so they maybe they've been like arrested and incarcerated pending their court case or their court outcome is that yeah yeah 
So yeah, I mean, we we pretty much house uh, with us is anybody that's pre-trial, which means that it's a committed a crime that hasn't obviously um, has been arraigned and is whether held without bail or held with a high bail prior to their charges. And we also house people who have been sentenced for low-level offenses um, with us that we're housing them in the meantime prior to them being maybe transferred to another facility and or maybe being uh, appearance with another court case that they may or may not have at that time. Okay. So. Um, so yeah, what we have is pretty much a wide range. Yeah. It sounds like it would be like a very high turnover of like different people kind of coming in and coming out. It is. And it's, you know, it's also the, the revolving door. You see, you know, people getting out and then the same ones coming back and, you know, some are majority of the same, same cases that they have are also somewhat different. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately you can go years without seeing, seeing the same people and then you just see them coming like back once in a while. So yeah. And I bet that's probably like from a humanities point, like probably pretty uh, like depressing to see someone who maybe had that chance to better themselves and then to fall back into that cycle. Yeah. You see these guys all the time. They come in and, you know, they're doing the right thing. They're getting their GED. And like with, with us, we have a lot of, you know, therapeutic services and just in general, the programs that we have to offer are great. Mm-hmm. You know, the, they help these guys get, you know, get jobs and get careers or even get clean with yeah. the substance abuse, which is a big thing right now with us, um, with our population. Mm-hmm. But these guys, you know, they get out and like, they even get jobs. And then like the biggest thing is they say, Oh, you'll never see me back. You'll never see me back. And I'm like, I hope not. But I mean, let's be honest, like the statistics, unfortunately speak for themselves. Yeah. And it's, it's one of these things that whether I don't see you soon, like, and then they come in and you know, they just look like they hit rock bottom again. And it's like, it's tough to watch. It's tough to see. And it's like, all right, well, I mean, you did it before you got squared away. You guys got to get right back in this routine. Yeah. You know, for a lot of these guys, like, you know, being incarcerated is all they have. It's all they know. And, you know, they come in, they see their friends that they've seen and, you know, and like their, their family members, you know, we've had people where father and sons are in custody at the same time in different units. It's like, you know, these are the only way, you know, for a lot of these guys that, that were brought up. So yeah, it's like what they know sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned the fact that you sort of were working in more of the, like the housing units and, and like what you're talking about. And from what you've told me, um, you, have you like transitioned to like a, a somewhat different role now, like in charge of like trans, transporting some of the inmates like to and from court? Is that or is that kind of just something that everyone does? So, yeah, no, um, I mean, with this point, I mean, now that I'm at the position with uh, transportation, okay. primarily I work with the court system. So pretty much when these guys are leaving for court in the morning, we're, we're transporting them, you know, make sure that they have, they're squared away with their paperwork and stuff there, you know, they have their restraints and seatbelts on, obviously for their safety. Mm-hmm. We have their court documentation paperwork and we're transporting all throughout the state where they may have cases or mm-hmm. where they have, you know, court appearances that are being ordered through, um, as well as people being, um, with the Massachusetts court system being sectioned on what's called the section 35. Okay which is uh, going for substance abuse, uh, you know, alcohol, drug dependency, yeah. where right now they go through the court, the family will petition that. And then at that point, after they speak with doctors and lawyers and whatnot, and it's decided that they may be a good fit to get some treatment. And then they get sent throughout pretty much throughout the state. Oh, you know? okay. um, some people can be sent as way out West and some people can be sent as way down South, you know? Yeah. So between that and as well as our uh, female population, as well now with you know being females or juveniles being transported um it's pretty much just ever evolving you know so yeah i pretty much started that about say about eight or nine years ago i transitioned from being inside the facility to being outside uh and i have been doing that right now okay and was that like like a promotional step for you or just like to diversify your experience 
So it was a promotional aspect. I mean, how I look at it, it still kept with the same position, same rank. Um, however, it allowed me the benefit of working now on Monday through Friday shifts mm-hmm. instead of kind of rotating my days and yeah. rotating my shifts. Um, I originally had started, I was, I think, Wednesday, Thursday days um, with yeah, about nine years in. And then I transitioned to this where I went back to night shift, second shift, uh, but Monday through Friday. So obviously, you know, weekends and holidays uh, being off was it was unbelievable. It's definitely a change of pace yeah. uh, for sure. But it, was, it wasn't a good thing, you know, being able to be home at night. I mean, being home on the weekends and be home during the day to kind of, you know, get the kids to school and stuff like that, which kind of helped. But yep. I sacrificed because then I missed things that happened at night where obviously it was kind of like the balance. But yeah, so you kind of outweigh the pros and cons on doing it. But no, it's been good yep. so far. No, and I, and I think that's sort of all in all part of our first responder roles is like you're always trying to, you know, give and get in one area and take from another and it's hard to kind of find that balance sometimes they always say go backwards to go forwards but um it's it's challenging when you're going backwards so many times and then you go forwards but it might not be the right time to go forwards now you kind of got to obviously do what's best for the family and try to find the balance yeah yeah very much so and um sort of talk to me about you also said that you are part of a um like you did your crisis negotiation training and you're part of some sort of uh, critical incident type of team that like will go and, and deal with either people who are missing or barricaded people. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so with our academy, we had obviously tra- training with our crisis negotiation uh, as well as communications and whatnot. And as well as SISM, SISM team, critical mm-hmm. incident stress management, um, after that, I had, you know, tried to apply for different training, different opportunities within my facility or outside where I was able to be uh, certified as a crisis negotiator, mm-hmm. as well as being a part of a peer support and SISM team at the time. Okay. Um, I've slowly transitioned on away from that, not still doing it as much, but transitioned away from that as well as now I'm in a uh, critical incident uh, management team role with uh, one of our special operations units mm-hmm. who handles a lot of being things are being dispatched throughout the state or primarily through a couple of different counties mm-hmm. where we're attached uh, to do barricaded subjects or hostage negotiation or missing persons mm-hmm. where we're able to do incident management as radio communications and assist with a lot of the other uh, officers on board at that time with canine or rapid response or snipers and whatnot. Okay. Wow. So is that like within sort of like correctional facilities or that's kind of basically just like anywhere over the state, any kind of situation that they need more resources? Yeah, it's outside, outside on normal day-to-day functions. In the event if something were to call, we'd be activated. Uh, We'd get a call to obviously go respond and based on who can and who can't, they devise the teams and they have a meeting point and they kind of go from there with what it, what it is, what the incident is and what it calls for for resources. Okay. And how, how like, how often, how frequent is, is a call out in that respect? You know, it, it goes high and low. I've been on for about five years on the, uh, the aspect that I'm in now. Mm-hmm. I'd say it, it tends to be busier, you know, during the summer and in the winter it would slow it down, but yep. there's times that you're getting calls, you know, two, two in a day or at least two or twice a week. Yeah. And you're like, you're wrapping up one and then there's maybe a call coming in for another something else. And, based on what the call and the resources are needed. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're literally just bouncing one from another. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to be pretty, pretty frequent during the, you know, the warmer months and stuff like that. During even large scale events that maybe there's pre-planning on, they came to be pretty activated pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants to be outside in New England during the winter months. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not fun for sure. No. Sitting on the cold. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so um, if I can, I wanted to sort of pivot to like the, the mental health aspects of being in law enforcement and a, and a correctional officer. Um, so we did just touch on the fact that you had involvement in CISM and, and peace support um, and all that kind of thing. But um, what I wanted to ask you before we sort of get to that is what was sort of either mentioned or brought up or was there any kind of training when you went through the academy in regards to like managing your own mental health, dealing with the kind of things that you would deal with at work? You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, yes and no. I mean, you think about, you know, this line of work, there's a reason why you're going into it. It's, it's primarily to help people, whether it's uh, police, fire, you know, EMS or us, you know, it's, it's spoken that, you do this line of work because at the time it was, well, you know, the pay is good or there's benefits attached to it. And, you know, you're, you're trying to provide for your family. I mean, that's kind of why you take this job. I mean, if anybody says like they want to be a corrections officer, you'd be like, well, why do you want to do that? You want to work with, you know, inside with that many people and, you know, give up your holidays and your days off and like not be around. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, you have this sense of wanting to help and wanting to assist others when that time comes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, working with your brother offices and sister offices, like you realize it, it is a sense of community and a family that, you know, you know, with where you are with somebody and you know, when someone's having a bad day, like I'll work with people and, or even me and I come in and like, you can tell I've worked with this guy for so long. And then today he's, in, he's on an off day. Like, you know, something's kind of going on and, you know, our academy would teach us like being able to communicate, like talk, express yourself. And again, that's kind of how, you know, a lot of us were raised. Mm-hmm. Like if you have something on your mind, try to, you know, express it, talk about it. But we also kind of, push things aside and we, and we bottle it and if something were to happen, we're just like, yep, I just want to deal with it. I want to, you know, get through the reports. I'm, I'm going to my weekend or I'm trying to, you know, how many times that something has happened when you're like, you have 10 minutes before shift ends and you're going on vacation mm. and you're like, oh, no, I'm stuck here. Every time. Writing reports Every time. And, you know, injuries. It's <laughs> always happens. And you're like, you cringe, but like, it's true. It happens all the time. You're like, well, what do we do here? You know? And then, you know, when instances come up or it's extremely stressful at times, you just try to, you know, you speak to the guy with you next to you and you kind of get on the same page and like, you realize like you just went through like an oh shit moment, but like, here you are now, like we're trying to like dissect it. Some people don't want to talk about it. Some people do, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, like everyone handles it the wrong way. You know, the stress that comes with the job and a lot of, it pushes us in our academy to push us to the stress point and the breaking point to see how well you handle under pressure. Yeah. And it's good because then you can kind of get the seed and oh, like, all right, well, this is, you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be things that you're going to happen that you're going to be like, oh, you know, the Monday morning quarterback, I should have done this, but it's not like it's not going to happen again, but you take the skills from what it is. Like I say it all the time. It's like, I, I admit to it. If there's something that I did that wasn't maybe the right thing, I make amends from it and I move yeah. on because it's going to happen again, but at least, you know, you make the mistake and you admit it and you just try to learn from yeah. it. And I mean, when it comes to like, you know, feelings and emotions, like it's a lot kind of going on when the situation arises itself that you're just trying to like, all right, well, what do we need to do? Like, step one is we need to, you know, if it's a fight, we need to separate. Step two is make sure we get medical. Step three is make sure we're okay. And, you know, we kind of go from there. And then obviously close off the area and secure it and then go from there. But it's just, it's always ever changing. With At the end of the day, we go in to try to go home safe. Yeah. And that's always the paramount, yeah. you know. No, very much so. And um, I think as well, like, like you're saying, they sort of test you a little bit in the academy because I think that is important because, if you don't know how either you or your partner is going to react under pressure and under stress. And the reality is not everyone reacts well under pressure. No. And, and, and look, I mean, and you know what, nine times out of 10, you can react 
like freaking awesome and then they can be one time out of 10 where you just you freeze or you have like you said you're having an off day and and you know it's 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 um unpredictable in that sense but you know like when you're talking about how outnumbered you are in regards to the inmates and you guys and you don't have any resources like you're saying except for your communication skills and your radio like everyone's got to be on their game like every time they're there it's funny like i I started at a young age and like i'm looking into it like the senior guys you know they they brought you on they kind of taught you the way and like by looking at them and showing them you could see like something's going to go on the way they would start to position themselves or get their things squared away like they'd have their handcuffs out or they'd get their keys like get their radio and they you knew something mm. was either going to about to happen or was ready to happen and learning from them it's like you know coming in at one year i think it's you don't really know a lot you're kind of just trying to get your feet wet but then you say you spoke to somebody at five years or at 10 years they all have this gauge of like they've learned the job they know the job and they know the players at that point they know when Something's about to go off. They're like, all right, well, this guy's having a bad day. I'm going to keep an eye on him. Or this thing's about to happen because this guy just did this behind the scenes or at the end of the day. Like, I think we do a pretty good job with us, with the inmate population that we have to officers. I think where I feel like we do a very good job with, you know, de-escalating and talking like the respect aspect is mutual. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like we're all, we all have a job to do. And I think we do very well in that regards with our administration staff pretty much shows that we do when it comes down to it, like we try not to go out of our way. And I think, and like I said to you before is how you see the officers is how you're going to see them out on the street, more or less like being vigilant, obviously, and understanding the surroundings based with their family. But, you know, we don't try to, I guess we don't bust balls. We try not to, we try to kind of just go with the flow, yeah. but understanding like it is what it is when something were to happen. Yeah. And I think by being a senior officer, you can kind of see where it comes out to yeah. where it benefits you, I should say. Yeah. And, and I think that's true. Like, um, you know, I feel like having an antagonistic relationship with people in that position, it's it's not like there's no worthwhile benefit that either of you are going to get out of it. Like, um, so I don't know if it's sort of the same here when like, um, so a lot of like when I worked uh, back home in Australia, I, if there is a, a court that people will get brought to, like a magistrate's court, a police station will be attached to it. And then that police station will have cells. So you don't have um, inmates in for like extended periods of time. It was kind of more like that holding pattern type of type of place um, for, you know, a week or two sort of at most. But, you know, there's that old adage of like, you know, what is it? You get more, get more flies with honey than vinegar sort of thing like then what you do with vinegar yeah yeah and and I was I think I was like remembering it with a couple of girlfriends um that I used to work with and it was yeah like you not so much like build a rapport but there has to be a little bit of level of mutual respect and and even though there is a power imbalance because they're in custody and you are not and you're in charge of them but mm -hmm. you know I think having that adversarial relationship like you know, and, and, and that is where that judgment comes into it too. You're like, oh, well, that pricks in for murder or rape or this or that. Like your 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 side of humanity is going to balk at that and you are going to have judgments and opinions about it, but you have to hold that inside and just be like, yep, no worries, mate. Like, let's do this, let's do that, da 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 da, da. And then it just, it just keeps, keeps it all nice and calm because that's what you want. Yeah. 
it's funny because like you look at the grand scheme of things, like you said, we have a job to do there, they have for something, but like you know them and whether whether the case may be, it's just like, well, listen, we I need here's what I need. Here's the end game. I need you here, but you're having a bad day and you're here. Like what can we do to get you to here? You know, sticking with, you know, rules and regulations, but like looking at you're a person, I get it, but like this is what I need to do. And at the end of the day, if you break it down very simple, like having a conversation, like that's half the battle. Yeah. A lot of these guys, like, you know, they want they want to they want to put on a show or they want to they want to fight for you know to have everybody look at me as we call mm. like the cell warriors <laughs> but like having a conversation with them half the battle you're just looking at them and you're like really like is this what we're going to do yeah. and they're like well you know I'm, I'm upset about this or i'm upset i'm like all right, i get it but like that's not affecting me like i didn't i tell this guy all the time like you know i'm just your uber driver i'm just the guy driving you to court this day like but you don't want to go and you, you want to resist and you don't want to you know, I get it, but like that's all I'm supposed to do is just get yeah. you there. I can't handle the courts. Yeah. I don't have any power or leeway. My job is just to get you there. And at that point, it's like, you know, what do you want to do? Like, you want to fight with me all day? That's fine. Like, I get it. And then they're like, all right, well. And then they usually they understand, like they get it, but you know, they just want to vent. They yeah. want to voice their concern, and they just want to feel heard. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, all right, we got over it. All right, now we can kind of move about our day. Yeah. You know. No, and that that makes total sense. And I think uh, so. We we used to have to feed them as well in the cells and everything like that and then if there was a little bit of a little bit of argy-bargy going on you just find like the 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 oldest crook like the the real you know bloke who's been in and out like institutionalized like his whole life and you'd be like boy mate like get that knucklehead under control for me sort of thing and be like no worries miss and you know (laughs) he gets a couple of extra biscuits with the hot chocolate at bedtime (laughs) and you're like hey happy days You definitely know the senior guy in the unit that's like, all right, you know what, I'll talk to him or this and that. And, you know, if they're, if they're constantly coming to the, you know, they need phone calls or they need the library services or they need paperwork, or we, we handle all the, but it's like the same guy coming to the bubble five or six times at the office station. And like the other inmates are like, why is this guy going to the station so many times? And it's like, guy, right, you know, rest your neck, like go, take, a, take a break, <laughs> come back in about an hour. Like it is what it is. Like I'm here all day. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. And the biggest thing is too, is like with, with police departments is, you know, they, they arrest the individual or, you know, they summons them, but they, if they arrest him and then they're in custody, they'll, they'll drop him off to the court the next day, or they'll drop him off at uh, other facilities or, you know, central lockups. And then it's up to the officers at that point who then take control of them and then have them on day to day out. Like pretty much officer, officer, officers, excuse me, book them in mm-hmm. and process them. They're pretty much hands off. It's then on to, I would say like either the sheriff's departments or the uh, the Department of Corrections and stuff like that, that would then take responsibility of that and then have them on a day-to-day basis. So for the amount of time that police officers are with an individual, it's it's minimal, obviously. But then you look at the other side of it, then they're here for the rest of it. And then we would have to deal with them on a day in a day out basis, sometimes 16 hours a day. And it's it's tough working in the same unit, 16 hours a day or eight hours. And you've had a guy that's just kind of been on you. And then, oh, by the way, you're going to be forced. Now you work in another shift, eight hours. Cool. And you're like, I just got, I'm out here in 10 minutes. And what do you mean? Like, nope, you got to rework. We need you. Wow. It's staffing. So you're like, oh, and then you're doing 16 hours with the guy. And you're like, oh, so it tends to be so pretty challenging. So you can be mandated time, so to work overtime? Yeah. Yep. There's time yeah. with, with staffing based on, I'm assuming with whatever units need staffing levels that they could say, you know, we're going to need, you know, 10 guys tonight. And based on volunteers, if they just got hit the night before, they're not going to be volunteering again. Or if they know they're going to get hit the following night, they're not volunteering. You, they could run a shift, you know, 10 to 15 guys into overtime and being forced. And yep. there's been times where your whole one of your shifts is another shift that was held over, Oof. you know, especially that midnight shift. Yep. It's like it's the whole three to 11 or four to midnight shift that they're all sitting there. And then you end up seeing them all the next day. And obviously, 
you know, between eight hours sleep or such and such, if they're trying to do things at home and get ready for kids yeah. and stuff at school, they're definitely coming in pretty, you know, pretty exhausted working in the next yeah. day. And then they do swaps to help yourself to get time off. If time off's denied PTO, they try to do swaps with another officer to help you so you can try to, you know, maybe get a piece of the weekend or try to have something that you're trying to make plans ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But it's tough when you do a swap, you work 16 hours, and then the next night you're about to leave, they hit you again for mm -hmm. 16 hours, and then you go into your, your days off. You're like, your first day is garbage. Yeah. You're trying to just catch up on sleep and go through the motions. Yeah. And next thing you know, you got you know two more days left before you kind of go back there, and it ruins your whole plans. And, and which how is what it is. how how does that affect like morale of the people at the um at the institution? It, it's tough because you know you, you look at it being no one wants to be held. You know it's being you know being, and this is where I look at it like you know we're prisoners on our own way too because yeah. if we're being held into a facility that we you know we want to leave we can't and. You know, someone that does 20 years yeah, is is held just as much time as a guy doing, say, I think like a 10-year sentence, yeah. you know, by doing 40, 60 hours a week. Um, it's tough because then you come in, you're exhausted, you're not on your A game. And then if something were to happen, you're like, you're just kind of like, ugh. And if it's happening more and more frequently and it's depending on which shift you are, it's mm -hmm. a lot, you know, it's hard working a 3 to 11 and then, a, you know, an 11 to 7 shift. Yeah. Getting out at 7 in the morning and knowing you're back at 3, Yeah, you know. Yeah, very much so. And and I, I don't know, obviously, like what the facilities are like that you work in, but I remember like the cells that we worked in, uh, like the the word that I would, and I mean, obviously it's it's a jail, like people are locked up, but even when you're working there, it's like there's not a lot of windows, everything just feels very claustrophobic. And we spoke about it offline, but cells and jails and interview rooms they just they have a real smell like there is a pungent lingering smell that I think is only identifiable to to a crook or to an inmate or something like that so I feel like yeah they're getting mandated to work overtime when you're just like I need fresh air I need sunlight I need like something to like you, you need yeah <laughs> not fluorescent lights or like you know a lot recirculated air oh. in a unit I mean sometimes like you go out into like to one of the prison yards and you're doing recreation or watching rec and you know the heat in the bricks would start you know probably in like June and it wouldn't leave till October yeah. it would be so hot there's no central air in a majority of the mm -hmm. units you know that we have and if you're out in the yard or out and just you know, walking around in the cafeteria, it's, it's stagnant air. Yeah. And it's, like I said, some have windows, some don't, but you're looking at it you're like it's, you're claustrophobic to say the least. It's just the smell. And then you add, let's add a hundred guys that are about to eat, you know, and let's, you know, hygiene's huge, you know, but I mean, you think about it as a lot of these guys aren't really pressed on hygiene and they're going in and, you know, you can obviously tell if it's on a hot July day and then here you are with, you know, an overpopulated chow hall you can kind of get to see what it, what it smells like. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I sort of would remember it like, and it is very vivid. Like, you know, you, a lot of the time people talk about like trauma and how it's sights and smells and, and noises and stuff like that really will kind of just draw you back to it. And it's like this weird, like stale, sweat like stale perspiration and like stinky feet i think that's like the best yeah. way that i can describe it it's, it's like, definitely that yeah so gross um but and so you were also saying that like the staffing levels are, are sort of you know relatively low at times which is obviously why you have to get like mandated um but uh, is there a push to be getting more staff or is it just there's more 
there's more need for inmates and then like it raises the, like the level like, or it offsets the levels and the ratios. Like, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a perfect storm. I mean, if you think about what, you know, a lot of the, you know, with, with this state in Massachusetts being, it is, it's a lot about rehabilitation and programs and like, you know, services and, you know, college education courses. And we offer, you know, with us, we have a, you know, a substance abuse program or a, what's it called? A, uh, uh, medication assisted treatment program okay. that we have. Like we run a lot of different types of programs and because of that and things that are opening, it requires more staff okay. and more staff as well as, and if you think about staff being, you know, for time off and then now staff with all these other programs. And then you can't anticipate that if there's a, you know, an outside medical trip or a disturbance or, you know, court trips mm. that you're going to run into staffing levels at that. But it just in general, you have people retiring. You know, I would say like, I, knowing what I am now, like starting this job now is, is completely different than when I started, you know, 18 years ago, just about yeah. it's, it's a lot more back then it was like, keep the keys, keep the count, keep the job. Cause a guy at all time would say to me, but now it's, you know, you, you got to make sure you were documentation with document. It's sure it's, it's everything with what's, what's fire departments or, or police officers or everything's documentation. Yeah. That's going to be your biggest friend. And you know, whether it's body cameras being introduced as well as, you know, having more staff come, but with people, these changes, a lot of the old timers don't want it. Yeah. They're at that, excuse me, they're at the end. They just, they don't want to deal with it done. and yeah. they're leaving. Yeah. Yeah. They, and you know what? You don't blame them. The jobs change. It's like, you know, the guy that's about to retire from baseball, you just, they've had enough, like the numbers are where they're at and you know, they kind of realize that there's nothing they can do. Yeah. But with, with people retiring and people just moving on for greener pastures yeah. and not saying that there's, you know, the grass is greener because I've heard both sides are saying it is or it isn't. But you try to look at where you are today and where you want to be. If you want to leave at 20, you should have the opportunity to. But you obviously want to make sure that you're doing things right, whether it's taking apart additional training programs or anything to do to better yourself within that time frame, whether the, the department offers it or whether you're doing it on your own to build your resume. So maybe at 20 years, if you think about it, you retire with with us, it's 50 percent you know, of our, our annual salary. Then you're only trying to make up. 50% of it doing, you know, I mean, at that point, it's, it's $22 an hour, $25 an hour, which you, you can easily try to make up the slack. Yeah. And you know what, you have more of a sense of like a purpose and you're, you're doing, you can kind of make your own hours yeah. and you don't have to start at the bottom, but the grass is greener outside, but you try to do what's best by the time that you're here. And that's eight hours a day, come in with a positive attitude and try to leave with a positive attitude. Yeah. You know, the job isn't hard per se, it's harder, you know, dealing with the you know the the ever changing of the documentation or the or the policies or the administration which is you know it's part of it you know people say like it's the politics well i mean it's it's always a big thing yeah. you can say you know people getting you know passed over or you know different promotion opportunities or advancement opportunities it's you know when the time is right it, it's what it is but if it doesn't then you still need to kind of better yourself you can't become stagnant you can't become negative and i, I see the guys all the time and i've been passed over numerous times and it's in here it's like well, why? Well, there wasn't the right time or it was, you know, based on, you know, human resources aspect or employee recommendations, they, they find the better fit. And, but you look at it like, can you go and be negative about it? That's the easiest thing. You know, you can just be negative and roll with it. And then you'd be that guy or you came in, but it is what it is. The guy got the bet, you know, the better position or the girl and you roll with it. And there's the next one coming along yeah. and you try to always look at the next one. Cause at the very least I look at it and it might be, I look at it cause it helps me is I'm raising a dog and looking at it. Like she needs to know that, at the end of the day, like if you don't, if you try for something and you work hard and you don't get it, you got to be able to kind of understand, like it, maybe it's just not your time. With the punches, the next, it yeah. just gives you more time to train, more time to prepare and kind of to better yourself as a person and as an employee here because they're trying to obviously invest money and time into you. 
maybe they want to see how you react to that position being either declined or not accepted. And it kind of goes from there. And hopefully, you know, it works out. Yeah. You know, it's, I like to say that now and 18 years in, but you know, there's times I've looked at it like, ugh, like, you know, you get discouraged. Absolutely. Yeah, like I come home here and I'm like, I don't understand like what I, what I could be doing better, but I always try to give feedback and criticism and say, what do I need to do? Where do I need to be? What can I be doing to better myself? And, you know, you try to take it with a grain of salt, you know, I'm not saying I'm the best employee, but I'm also, I don't feel like I'm the worst employee. <laughs> I think I try to look at it and say, I don't have to pass, but no, I try to say like, realistic. at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I, I try to like, look at like, Grain of salt, you know, I try to do the right thing and I always try to, you know, admit when I'm wrong. But at the end of the day, like, I try to just take it for what it is. It's a job. It's eight hours. Yes. You know, you try not to take it home, which can be difficult in itself, especially when you're dealing with, you know, things that happen on the job or even outside of the job, yeah. but you're home and it's still something job related. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Of course. But it's just one day at a time. That's kind of what it yeah. is. I try not to anticipate tomorrow's like, worries and bothersome. I try to be present in today, I guess. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. And I think you're saying, you know, I think every large department, there's politics, there's politics at play, there's, uh, you know, like some form of nepotism. There's like all that shit goes on everywhere. So like you're saying, yeah. if you kind of go like, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that I look to, or one of the sayings I like to say is like swings and roundabouts. So it's, you know, always like some, 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 sometimes it's your turn, sometimes it's someone else's and, you know, it's even like yep. someone like buying you a drink or buying you a coffee and they're like, oh, I want to pay you back. It's like, nah, mate, swings around about, it's all good. Like you'll get me next time. So exactly. I think. Yep. You always catch it on the go. Exactly. Sure. Um, and so with sort of everything that you've, you've like talked to me about today in regards to, you know, like the, the stresses and the hypervigilance and then all that kind of thing, like, I guess. And sort of to your knowledge, because it, it, you know, it might not be something that you're overly aware of, but like, is um, is like depression and and, and suicide rates are they like prevalent amongst the the correctional correctional population? Yeah, they they are. Um, there's been you know a lot of statistics and, and surveys done that it's probably one of the it's the highest rate of divorce in any profession. Mm -hmm. It's Substance abuse and, and general suicide is at the highest, I think, especially in this state. There was a survey done a couple of years ago about, um, was it 45 offices in a 30-year period have committed suicide in general in the state of Massachusetts? Um, something about it's the, the, the fourth highest in general of any profession going. Um, suicide tends to run pretty high with corrections offices based mm -hmm. on a lot of the stresses that it carries and obviously trying to find, you know, between leaving work at work or home at home and substance abuse or divorce. Um, it's, it tends to be a lot based on the experiences that you witness through a, say a regular career, whether you start at one year or five, it doesn't really matter what you witness and what you see on a day-to-day -day basis affects everybody differently. Yeah, of course. You know, I think our place does a pretty good job with services and staffing to help people and maybe recognize it and there's training that's offered as well. But I mean, it's like everything else where we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. We bottle it down. And, you know, I remember starting my, my background investigation prior to being hired. They investigate us to, you know, make sure that we're, we're vetted. And, you know, my investigator said the best advice, he goes, you know, the best advice I can give you here is, is, is keep your friends because your friends will, you'll lose throughout the time and they won't get your job they don't understand why you're not at you know barbecues on fourth of july weekend and or at christmas with your family like you'll you'll be like oh that's a tough job but you're getting paid to do it it's okay or you, you know chose or, it. someone spit at me mm -hmm. today yeah like you chose it it happens 
you know, you got, oh, someone threw urine at you today or threw shit covered on a wall and you're like, someone spit at you and you're like, oh, but that, that's what you get paid to do. You get paid to deal with it. No, you don't. No. You get paid to keep them safe and, you know, care, custody and control. But I don't, it's not what you signed up for to have, you know, piss and shit thrown all over your uniform or blood yeah. from something up, cutting up and suicide and looking at all these things. Then you take them home and, and then, no, I'm going to go home and I'm going to, you know, have dinner with my family and just a regular day. Like, oh, how was your day? It was good. But you don't want to really say, well, this is what it kind of would transpire today. Like, Jesus, you know? So you bottle it down and put it aside. And, you know, you think of, you know, if something were to happen, if there's a hiccup at work, if someone, you know, unfortunately maybe has discipline measures, and then now they've added that on to their job and then they go home and they try to, you know, get back into like a mom and dad routine with kids and parenting or just in general having a social life. People look at you like the stories that you share the outside people are like, what are you talking about? Like, that's not normal, like what goes on on a day-to-day -day basis. And then you go, well, I'm going to go out and hang out with maybe more coworkers who understand me on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's what I was going back to. Like, my background investigator says, keep your friends that you have. And whether they do a different job altogether, they don't ever understand your job. You'll never understand theirs. But being able to at least communicate with them, they can understand and have a different perspective. Because, of course, you go out with... You know, if a guy walks up with a limp and you work with him every day, he's going to have, you're going to have a limp too. You work with the same guys who have the same problems and see the same things on a day-to-day -day basis. You're going to relate more to them mm -hmm. than outside in the public. So then like you think you have a sense of knowledge, like, hey, we're on the same page. Like they, they witness that too. And then we just stress on our own and our own personal lives. But then like you bring it home and then it's constantly revisiting you, the experience of the traumatic situations or incidents mm -hmm. that you arise. And it just, it never ends. It's yeah. just, and then you kind of push it aside and then the help that we have now is a lot different than maybe where we were back then, but no one wanted help. No one wanted to get the, you know, the help that they need or go speak to somebody professionally about it. But if you're going to do a job in this career and regrets any career, whether it's firefighters or police officers, I mean, EMTs, nurses, doctors, like there's times that something happens, the oh shit moment or something tragic that you've witnessed in that you've been involved with or a part of that you don't want to deal with it, but you have to be able to kind of talk about it with someone and having someone that's had that experience that was able to talk about it and maybe better themselves and express themselves and show like it's okay to feel this way and you have to understand that it's part of the process but looking at it like you don't have to stay that way you can get the help and speak about it and you know de-escalate de-stress or debrief mm -hmm. and move on from it and you can still circle back to it if you have these feelings of you know that you have or emotions but being able that it's okay and you're not the only one i mean they write plenty of books about you know officer wellness and stress seminars and crisis management that you have for officers and staff, but looking at it on a day-to-day -day basis, you just don't know, you know, it's, it's tough. Everyone handles it different, yeah. but you have to at least ask for help yeah. and see other people get it as the biggest thing. Yeah. No. And, and, and I think you're right. Like, I think, I think there's a, there's finding or striking the right balance between having friends that are either in the job or like that similar role and, and having civilian friends, because like you're saying, like they have these, these different viewpoints and they do see the world differently and, and you, but you don't necessarily have to see it the same way to, to be able to get comfort from that person and, and yeah, be able to go and not talk shop with them, you know, just go and have like normal conversations. Like sometimes that is, yeah. that's really beneficial. Um, and, and as well, like you're saying, you know, it's, um, I think everyone also starts on, on a different level and on a different step. So something that, you know, might not bother you in the slightest will bother someone because they've also had like 10 things from their childhood or previous experiences and all that kind of thing. So with everyone's 
level of trauma and, and life experience is so varied. Like it's, it's, it's really challenging, I think, to, for people to compare each other, you know, to, to go, oh, well, it didn't bother that guy. So why is it bothering me? And then they, they can spiral from there. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, if someone, like you said, has a history or something like that and uh, an incident happens that, like, you think, like, oh, come on, like, figure it out, let's go, like, you know, but, like, you're right, you don't know. And a lot of our, you know, with us is, like, you know, we are a family to an extent. We all know each other, our personal lives, our family. But then you look at, like, maybe we don't really know what goes on behind the scenes. It's something that maybe that they've put down deep down that we don't know. And then something happens. And then it's bringing up, like, why is, you know, why is this person responding to this way like this? And then, you know, we might not know. And looking at it, it's like, well, unless, you know, at that point, then they understand and then maybe they, they express themselves as to why it's like, okay, like you get it. Like you could work with someone for five days a week, like I said, and be completely fine. And maybe one day they've had a bad day, something going on, you know, maybe at home or such and such. And then they come into work. And like I joke around with this guy every day. No, today he's not. Mm-hmm. Like, What's kind of going on? Like, Hey, you're all yeah. right. You check in with yourself. Yeah. Exactly. And so you're, you obviously seem sort of very um, astute and aware of like all of the, all of the things that kind of come into play. Is that, is that sort of what like prompted you, like your interest in regards to that and and looking after your colleagues and your troops to, to want to either join up like, or do the SISM course or join up peer support or like where, where did that sort of impetus come from for you? I think, you know, early on being with the profession that we are is, you know, being able to assist and not knowing what it was at the time. Like, you know, you think somebody's had a bad day, you're going to be able to go talk to them. And I mean, I do that anyway. I do that on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Being a part of a SISM team or peer support, it helps, obviously, because you're able to have that additional training as well as, you know, kind of catching the uh, the clues of kind of what's been kind of going on and catching the signs, I guess. But um, with us personally, it was me coming out of the academy and having additional training to see that to maybe better myself or better other offices, handling the stresses that come with the job. And you know, having, you know, individuals in our academy who, you know, had passed away throughout the, um, after the academy and understand like, you know, this is a close bond you shared with someone for so long. And, you know, unfortunately not, they're not there. And it's, you know, it, it hits home. Yeah. Like, you know, things unfortunately do happen um, outside of the office per se. And it's, it's tough. And then you come home to your family, like, you know, why? You ask questions, why? And that's the biggest thing. You can't, no one has those answers, unfortunately, you know, and you look at, you know, the family, <clears throat> who's obviously now dealing with this this loss or a tragedy and you wonder like, you know, could you have done something different? Yeah. And looking at that is like, you know, you can't save everybody, but you can try to at least save, maybe save one. And then that person sees and hopefully it kind of builds from there. And, you know, when things like this happen, then everyone bands together and tries to work together to come up with different strategies and, you know, programs and conferences. And, but it, it takes something unfortunate to happen for that to, to kind of, kind of bring out the positive at, at that point. But yeah, if we can kind of bring it back to the programs and the services that are there ahead of time and, you know, kind of periodically check in and say like, Hey, what can we try to do to better ourselves? And whether we have, you know, check-ins with each other or check-ins with, you know, uh, like administration, just even like, Hey, you know, I see that you're off today. What's been kind of going on. I don't want to, you know, check in with you. What's what it is. Well, you know, we got to get this going on at home. Okay. Well, let's, you know, what can we try to do to accommodate that? You know, whether it's different hours or maybe different shift for a certain period of time. And I think like they do pretty well with that now, but I think it always wasn't like that. So I think we're taking steps in the right direction and then looking at it as well as like anybody can help out somebody, just lending an ear. Like, Hey, I'm here. If you need me, call me anytime. You know, it is what it is. And if the phone rings, which it's have, like you understand, like they're, they're in a bad spot, they're in a bad place. And 
maybe they have no one to turn to. And if they're turning to you, you're there to help them because you know what, if the shoe was on the other foot, you know, that person would pick up that person would be there, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And um, you said it sort of wasn't always that way. Like in what sort of time frame do you really think that you've seen like the, the change occur? Um, I'd, I'd say over the last probably 10 years or so, I've seen the change in general, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's, you know, suicide does run pretty high with correctional officer staff. Um, and you see something tragic happen and it kind of puts things in perspective that you, you wish you could have tried to help out. And, you know, they've done statistics on it with, with everything else. And then you add a component of like substance abuse, like you see the signs. Mm -hmm. And I think, a lot of people do, but, you know, they're afraid to say something or you think, uh, you know, oh, you know, John Smith, he's been great. He's fine. No big deal. And you're like, no, I think I want to, no, no, he's fine. Leave him alone. They're like, okay, cool. But then like, oh, you know that, you know, that person might be in a bad spot and just by you asking, I think it helps. And by having a lot of offices kind of checking in with each other, doing like the daily check-in, it shows that we are kind of a family, you know, sometimes we might not get along and we might not, you know, we kind of hate each other at times, <laughs> but you look at it like, we do try to help each other out. No one wants to see someone, you know, down and out on the, you know, and I think the department recognizes that. I think, you know, having an officer who's able to do the job right, and yeah, maybe have something going on, we're able to kind of intervene a little bit in the system mm -hmm. to have him be a better employee, where the flip side is, you know, unfortunately, something might happen that, you know, maybe you felt responsible or you felt you could have done more. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now with, with transitioning with, you know, programs to help staff and training that we were offered. As well as, you know, I think with, I can say like administration has an open door policy okay. where they can kind of, some of them where you're able to talk to them, set up an appointment and speak to them if something's going to go on. But like they have a handle of their employees and, this, you know, it's not always easy and I'm sure they have a job to do too. But looking at it, like they're here to help the best staff to do their yeah. job because then it makes them look. Yeah. It's kind of like a big circle in retrospect all around. Yeah. No, you know? that, that sounds really, really good and really positive. Um, and so if someone sort of, did reach a stage where they're like, fuck, I'm, I'm not okay. Like I, I need some help. Is that because of that sort of open door policy and stuff, is that process like fairly streamlined? Like, is there some sort of like EAP system that you guys have that you can access to be able to get some like mental health assistance? Yeah. Yeah. We do have, we have several, the unit that we, we particularly have is, is several offices that are specifically trained. Um, and obviously peer support and employee assistance that we're able to obviously contact. So, uh, some are on different shifts, so you can always kind of get somebody, whether it's different shifts, different days yeah. off, um, and you're able to speak to them. And at that point, you know, it's obviously confidential. Mm -hmm. That person would then re-bring re re it to another person within the unit, uh, probably a director or administrator at that point, who then would be able to reach out personally and con contact with them and kind of see what kind of services they need or where they're struggling mm -hmm. or where they need assistance with. And then from there, they obviously reach out to you know, the therapeutic services or substance abuse areas or just in general, maybe to reach out to somebody just to sit down and have a cup of coffee with. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, like, you know, we're all dealing with it. We're all kind of in the thick of it. Like, what can we do to help you? Yeah. Is it something that we can try to do? Or if we can't, like, we'll try to get you the help that we can. Mm -hmm. You know, you take the phone call, you just answer the phone call. Some people just want to be able to listen and be heard. Yeah. It's half the battle. Yeah very much so and I think it and yeah to have to have someone listen and and feel like that person just understands and acknowledges and validates and yeah sometimes sometimes it's like I I don't need anyone to fix anything for me I just need to be able to offload yeah yeah 
Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, it's good that, you know, it seems to, seems to be working somewhat in, in the place where you're, you're situated at the moment, which, you know, is, is a positive sign because I think it's, it seems like everyone in the first responder realm is sort of still just kind of playing catch up when it's, it's a known issue depression and suicide and trauma it's so so evident in our profession so to hear that you know one place is somewhat getting it right it's a good thing yeah we're definitely trying for sure i'm sure we could do a lot you know more and improve but you know i think just it's taking the first steps yeah. it's just trying to understanding that there is an issue and a problem that you know it's kind of going on and understanding that you know we're here to try to get the job done in order to do that we need to have guys you know when girls working together and being in line and obviously being the best versions of themselves. So it's not just while they're at work. It's when they go home to their families, they're not, you know, getting the rundown version that someone doesn't want to talk about anything, do anything and just kind of is someone that's there, but not actually Mm -hmm. there. They're not, they're present, but they're not kind of like thousand yard stand. They're just not in the right. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Um, And so I think we've sort of, covered almost everything dave that's been really wonderful right. thank you for for coming and having a chat um i normally finish these podcast episodes uh with asking the guests two questions and obviously the name of the podcast is i will hold space for your darkness um and it's in reference to the the darkness and those elements of humanity that we all kind of see that not necessarily everyone knows exists out there but we get a a front row seat too at times um <laughs> and so uh the first question is what do you do to hold space for your darkness in that respect you know when when things kind of you know put you back against the wall and you kind of you know challenge you're overwhelmed and i try to like just slow it down mm-hmm. and by slowing it down looking at what what drives me every day to do what i do and to kind of keep me grounded and it's family you know it's it's being able to come home and, and show that, you know, I'm having struggles or I'm having difficulty with something, but having, you know, my family not necessarily witness it, but to see that I am able to address it and kind of overcome it and work it out, you know, whether it's, you know, it's exercising or, you know, being with my family and just being present yeah. and understanding that, you know, it's a career that everyone has, but it's work, but it's not what defines you. I mean, you can do, you know, I say the time, the only thing that you can, you can do 20 years. And at the end of the point, the end of the day, who's going to remember you work late is your kids. Yeah. And then looking at it, it's like just trying to find that balance and doing like, you know, the checks and balances with yourself, whether it's where you are as being a father or, you know, being with your relationship, your health and your career, even with your friendships, just trying to find that balance of being even keeled yeah. all together. And I'm not saying it works all the time. I'm saying I just try <laughs> to find find it the best I can and try to do the check-ins yeah. with myself to kind of, you know, for the people that depend on okay. and I'm trying to help them be, be the best version of myself in this process. Yeah. In this journey. No, that sounds that sounds excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and Thank the you. second question is, um, what can someone do, whether it is a friend, a partner, a spouse, anything like that, um, to support you in being able to hold space for that darkness? I think anybody that you're able to kind of reach out with, whether it's your coworkers or someone that maybe has worked that's you know retired, I think having them sh- see you in a different light, they know that they're able to assist you or help you. And maybe they can kind of help you as well, but you kind of, you gotta be the call. You gotta be the one to ask for them to help. And you're gonna answer that call for them, knowing that, like you said, they might not need anything from you. They just need someone to listen. Mm -hmm. But being present for them is like the biggest thing that can kind of help 
going forward. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. All right. Um, thank you for, for coming on and, and sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience in your law enforcement role and your um, corrections experience, because I think it's been really worthwhile. And, and like I said, it's, it's an element of law enforcement that, you know, besides the glorified movies and TV shows, like not a lot of people hear about. So I really appreciate you taking the time today, Dave, to come and share all of that with us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. All right. Uh, this has been another episode of I Will Hold Space for Your Darkness. I've been your host, Erin Jane. And as always, let me listen in a way you've never been heard. Cheers. Hi, guys. It's Erin Jane here. Firstly, thank you for listening to I Will Hold Space for Your Darkness. This podcast really is for you, the listener. And I hope you're finding as much value in listening to these conversations as I am in having them. If you'd like to offer any feedback, suggest a subject matter, are interested in being a podcast guest, or would like to get in contact to receive first responder life and wellness coaching services, please reach out. You can find me on Instagram at Erin Jane Coaching or my website, www.erinjanecoaching.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I'm so grateful to have you as part of this darkness community. Cheers. Cheers.